0: Mao's paper is about the rise of imperialism in Japan in the context of Japanese spirituality. She focuses primarily on the events of the Meiji era from the year 1868 to the end of the First Sino-Japanese War in 1905. Her exploration of Shintoism, Westernization, and Imperial rule reveals a complex relationship between these components that resulted in the cult-like nationalism and emperor worship witnessed in the following world wars. Now we have a few questions for Mao. How did the events of the Meiji era change Japan's economy and society?
1: The Meiji era is widely regarded as the era of rapid industrialization and modernization. During this time period, Japan's economy grew massively. Trade with other nations were tripling, quadrupling, depending on the industry. Manufacturing was at an all time high, and the exportation of goods accompanied the importation of ideas, technologies, and more. So then high society in Japan transformed. Kimonos were put away and flowing western dresses flocked the streets. The scenery of Japan took a drastic turn from the reign of the shogun with brick buildings, uh, carts, things like that. However, these changes also inspired an appreciation for the traditions of Japan. Um, Like the shamisen could be heard still in the streets, which were already brick at this point. Um, There were also still the human carts that were being wheeled around by just normal people. Uh, This is also another traditional Japanese uh, site, I guess. And this is important to note because the Meiji cabinet was desperate to emulate Western power and technology while still maintaining what they called a Japanese spirit. So then, the events of the Meiji era simultaneously propelled Japan into Western society and also highlighted what it meant to be Japanese. Shinto practices, like the common saying of itadakimasu, a sign of gratitude before a meal, continued throughout this this era of change.
0: What was the role of the emperor into and through this era of change? This transition between the Age
1: of the Tokugawa and Meiji, uh, as if any coup, was often a chaotic and bloody event. The emperor did not actually participate in any of the armed conflicts that were happening at this time. However, what he did do was legitimize the actions of the new rebels against the Tokugawa. Additionally, the emperor's rise was illustrated as the coming of a new age, reforms that could not have been implemented with the old reign now cut. As new policies were implemented, the emperor became a symbolic and religious anchor for the citizenry who were attempting to make coherent sense of the rapidly changing world around them. This is significant because the emperor was a tie to the past and also to the spirituality of the Japanese
0: people. What preceded the cult-like kokatai mentality seeing later wars? If you can, could you please explain what kokutai is?
1: Kokutai in Japanese literally means country body. Uh, This means that it is the fundamental character of the Japanese empire. Mm -hmm. Kokutai included the absolute belief in the emperor and the emperor's power. Uh, This was done through the deification of the imperial throne into something resembling an absolute god. It also included the merging of the state and the imperial house as one singular entity. Uh, This then unified Japan into a singular nation. It's also important to note that the Emperor was only 16 when he took the throne. Uh, his inexperience and in age undermined his authority, especially in the public eye. The Meiji cabinet had to deal with social instability. The Meiji was a new rule. Um, the need to unite people under one nation was something that has been never done before, uh, particularly in the recent Japanese history. Uh, Japan existed as a number of semi-autonomous states that then answered to a singular central body. Um, But most of these domains, um, these autonomous domains, uh, didn't really have a centralized government uh, to answer to. And so um, unifying the people under one singular identity was something that was very new to Japan. There was also fear of challenge to political control from a restless populace. Uh, The changing times made Japanese society into something that was a little bit more unpredictable. Uh, Everything was very new. And so um, that aggravated the sort of cultural concern of natural identity, and that contributed heavily to the formation and dissemination of a national doctrine. Additionally, Japan was also trying to build its military at this point. Um, The whole reason why Japan started undergoing westernization, modernization, was because of the threats of the West. And to counter those threats, Japan needed to build an army or military that was as strong as the Western powers. The Conscription Act was promulgated in 1873 after the foundation of an effective military system became imperative. Modeled after the military systems of France and Prussia, the act designated that men between 17 and 40 were liable for the national duty of active service in the Imperial Army. Uh, These soldiers will be inducted from the entire population of Japan, uh, thus creating a mass army rather than the samurai armies fought in feudal times. However, there was heavy resistance from the peasantry of Japan, who now, along with paying taxes, were required to send their husbands and sons uh, to serve a political body they had little affinity to. Thus, the Meiji now had to tackle the question of how to make a people want to fight and potentially lay down their lives for a nation. These These factors preceded and necessitated the rise of kokutai in Japan. In summary, Japan needed stability, and nothing created stability like religion. Can you explain kami to me? Kami are essentially deities or spirits that is anything extraordinary or inspires awe and reverence. Because of this lack of a resolute definition of what a kami must be, a wide variety of kami are found in the Shinto religion. This variety includes those related to natural objects and creatures, or guardian Kami that protect human clans, and Kami who are or were exceptional human beings. Kami also diverge from the omnipotent and omniscient entities of other religions in that they're considered as part of the natural cycle of life. The humaneness of the Kami in folklore demonstrate that the natural and spiritual worlds are directly connected, and the spirits of the first coexist with the humans of the latter. Because Kami permeate the whole essence of life, all things are considered potential Kami, but most are not venerated as such.
0: How did this definition change with the rise of Kokutai? The rise of Kokutai
1: and the deification of the emperor completely changed what it meant to be a Kami. Kokutai elevated the definition of a Kami into something more sacred and more godlike. Uh, it made the emperor into an absolute being that could do no wrong, as he was an ultimate entity. It transformed kami from venerable spirits into powerful absolute entities that must be obeyed. These new definitions were then disseminated in ethics education within schools. Uh, the rescript of education, which incorporated the emperor's moral directives and social obligations to the people of Japan, incorporated these teachings, including the reverence of the emperor. A loyalty to the Lord, and the love of the country. These teachings grounded the next generation that would become the future soldiers for the empire in a rigid political and religious hierarchy, um, and it also subsequently legitimized the actions of a rising imperial nation. This would prove increasingly important as the nation quickly approached its first war. Uh, By the onset of the First Sino-Japanese War in 1894, uh, the Japanese spirituality would have shifted its focus from a religion that taught hatred is unknown in the kingdom of the gods. The ideas of hatred, conquering by might, and such things are only the fabrication of narrow-minded people, to a doctrine that exploited the idea of the sacredness of the emperor in an attempt to find supernatural sanctions for state absolutism.
0: Can you explain the role of syncretism in this narrative?
1: Syncretism plays a huge role in Shintoism and also in sort of the westernization that occurred in the Meiji. I'll first talk about the influences of different cultures on Shintoism. Understanding the influences that Chinese belief in culture as well as the prevalence of Buddhism in Japanese history is critical in defining Shintoism. The Buddha, common called Oshakasama, but also recognized as Sakuson, Seeson, Shakyamuni, Shakanyurai, and Buddha, first entered the Japanese society around the early 6th century through uh, during the Asuka period, which was from 538 to 710 CE. Despite the rejection surrounding its arrival, uh, the late 17th through 9th century in Japan saw a whole rise in the Buddhist teachings and the institutionalization of Buddhism as a political tool. The Chan Buddhism that was imported from China was then modified to the forms of Japanese Buddhism that pervaded society in this period. Confucianism was incorporated into Japanese culture in a similar manner, with its teachings of filial piety and ancestor veneration making its way into both Japanese Buddhism and Shintoism. The Buddhist ideas of one mind, of Zen, were also modified in Japan and pervaded Shintoist teachings. The significance of all of this is that by the time that modernity influenced the significance of this is that when Westernization and modernity came to Japan, uh, Japan had already established a history of incorporating other cultures, modifying it to fit its own society, and then transforming it into something that is part of the Japanese identity. Thus, when Western technologies and ideas were imported into Japan, only select technologies and select ideas were then incorporated, actually incorporated into the Japanese society. Japan picked out what was useful and helpful in progressing their own society and threw away the rest. This all then emulates the whole idea of Western technologies but Japanese spirit that the Meiji cabinet really wanted Japan to have a good grasp of.
0: So the last question is, how did imperialism play into the Japanese narrative and how has the narrative changed as a result?
1: It all began with Commodore Matthew Perry. Uh, Perry made his appearance in the waters of Edo Bay on July 8, 1853. His arrival marked the end of an era of isolationism and imperialism at that point had reached Japan. In this time period much of Asia was encountering imperialism particularly from Europe and so Um, Japan witnessed China's decline and fall at the hands of the British and that really frightened Japan. A rising concern for both the Tokugawa and the Meiji became conquest of Japanese lands. Uh, They were worried that they would become a colony of the USA. So the Meiji cabinet decided that they would join the whole if you can't beat them join them kind of attitude and they wanted to stand equal to the Western powers and to them joining the imperialist ranks were the only way to protect Japan. So expansion, in my paper's case the Sino-Japanese War, was one of the f- first overseas wars Japan fought with the new reign. And it legitimized Japan domestically as the indoctrination of Kokutai was reinforced with the physical demonstration of national victory. And it also legitimized Japan internationally as a nation approaching western standards of power. Uh, No longer were the Japanese public looking to China as the dominant power now. Uh, Scholars were arguing that Japan ought to leave the ranks of Asian nations and cast our lot with the civilized nations of the West. Um, And this sort of mentality became a lot more common as Japan started to expand its territory and emulate Western powers.
0: By the end of your paper, what were your final findings? By the end of my paper, my
1: final conclusion was really that this was a really complex issue in which a lot of social factors, religious factors, played into the rise of Kokutai and then the changing identity of the people. Um, As Western influences and modernity permeated Japan through the late 19th century, um, a revised religion was created to meet the changing needs of the state and the people. and as Japan dove further into militarism and expansion, the supplementation of sort of a supernatural or a religious reasoning behind its actions became necessary in order to legitimize itself to boast its domestic peoples and the international community. And through this era of change, the worship of the emperor became more and more prioritized over the worship of kami, as the emperor was kind of seen as a living version of one. And then his words then became absolute his actions became absolute and the japanese identity morphed to sort of incorporate the sanctity of the emperor at its core not only that with the creation of this doctrine japan shaped its identity to accommodate the militarism and the expansionism that was permeating throughout the western nations and parts of asia at that time then The rise of kokutai, um, which really stemmed from the necessity of uniting a nation under a single Japanese identity, transformed this Japanese identity to accommodate political and military agendas until ultimately it surfaced as the cult-like nationalism of the 20th century.
0: Thank you, Mao, for telling me about your paper. Thank you, Daisy, for the opportunity.